Uh, we have uh, an incredibly special guest with us. We are in a series called The Light Has Come. Um, and as we were talking about this as a teaching team, um, I, I just, this gentleman came to mind. Uh, he, uh, let, me, let me let you know how I got to know this, this man. Uh, when we started Shine Church um, and started to share just the heart for what we were doing, the fact that uh, collabor- collaboration and leadership, collaboration from the family, that this is a family, that we want to pull out the gifts in you. Um, somebody came up to me and said, you've got to meet this gentleman. And so sure enough, uh, we got together. He's actually done some stuff for our staff. Um, and in meeting him, uh, just our hearts connected. And I just totally resonate um, just with just his expertise. Um, he's, he's a little bit older than I am. And so I consider him a friend. I consider him a mentor. I've heard it often say that um, uh, if your pastor doesn't have a pastor, watch out. Um, look, and, and I would consider this man a pastor in my life. We meet monthly, um, and I just glean from him. I tell him everything that's going on, and then with love in his eyes and in his heart, he looks at me and tells me where I'm wrong. <laughs> and I receive it with such joy and, and such life. And so, uh, church, you are definitely going to be blessed as uh, we get the honor and privilege to have one of Shine's mentors, Mr. John Peterson, share with us. So, John, would you come up and... Give us the word this morning. Love you, you, buddy. You are blessed here at Shine Church. (laughs) I do a lot of meeting with church leaders around the world, and there's two kinds of leaders in the church. Hungry for God and desperate to become famous. And your, your leaders in this church, Dan and Kim, DJ and Cammie, and your beautiful team here, they're not looking to get famous. They're not even looking to build a church. The only person who has any authority to build a church is Jesus. And so we become underlings. We become servants of his. We become ambassadors of his kingdom. But we never, ever have permission to build what he's already died to build himself. Amen? Okay, shiny people. I love thinking of you as the shiny people. I drive by here all the time. I live here in the meadows. Um, My wife, Mindy, is not with me this morning, and she was hoping to come and got delayed. All these Christmas parties and stuff going on right now. It's just unbelievable. Um, Mindy and I have been married. June will be 50 years. You say, oh, you look too young for that. Thank you. (laughs) We've been married for such a beautiful, hard, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life is be married for 50 years. It's harder than anything I've ever done. And the rewards are as great as anything you can hope for. Amen? uh, It's worth the price to love someone with all of your might and do it through a lot of failure and through a lot of hurt and pain and mistakes and isn't that like Jesus that he's loved us through all this stuff he loves us no matter he's wedded to us we are his bride and he is so committed to walk with us through everything um I want to share with you something kind of fun I I, the last oh a number of years I I was reminiscing on Christmas and all my growing up years I was born and raised in Japan 
spent 18 years there. My, I'm culturally, there's a lot of Japan inside of me. And then I moved to the States for only 11 years at, at 18. So I was only in my, I'm a citizen of this country, but my, um, probably four or five years ago, I could say that I'd now lived in the States for half of my life. So then when I was, uh, during those years, I was in the Jesus movement. I got involved with, um, I felt real called to church planting. Uh, I moved to Southern Oregon with 12 people, and we ended up with 800 hippies in two years. I mean, we had hippies, dudes. I mean, I had 27 weddings in a row, and not one of them was in a church building. We had them in teepees, tree houses, golf courses. I mean, it was fantastic. Um, and then moved to Europe, moved my family into, to Amsterdam and moved into the red light district where we lived. We had 27,000 prostitutes as our neighbors. The Satanic Church of Europe was right next door to our building. Um, on and on it goes. It was wild, absolutely wild. 14, 15 years of that, came back and got involved uh, with city transformation. My heart's always been for cities. And to see that, that we got one, one church in every city with many parts, preaching one gospel the gospel of the kingdom, and that God is right now globally shifting his church to, re, to re, uh, reconnect with the original DNA of what the church was meant to be. We have created cultural phenomenons called Western Christian church. Our brothers and sisters in Africa are exploding. Our brothers and sisters in Asia are exploding. Iran is the fastest growing church in the world, speed-wise. They're doubling every year for the last 20 years. Can you imagine the doubling of the church? What's, what is going on? And in the West, it's diminishing. Now, this sounds cruel, okay? We're losing pastors and we're losing churches, and I say praise God. Not, not from the sense of I, I want people to get hurt and get blown up. It's not that. But it, God will go to every length to get his church back, to be what it was meant to be in the beginning, the DNA of the early church, not necessarily the, all the framework of the early church. It was culturally different. But the, the, the DNA of being a family, the DNA of understanding that they were pilgrims and aliens on this earth. They had no allegiance to the, to the po political process, but they were called to go into the culture as ambassadors of a new kingdom. It was very different. They understood that they were going to have to pay for their lives by doing this. They weren't about having a solid, cool, cushy life. They, they were going to get that later. Right now, they were going to give themselves completely to the gospel of the kingdom, to the son of God, to the king of kings, who could stand in front of Caesar and say, Paul stood in front of Caesar. You ever wondered why Paul got arrested? He wanted to be arrested. Why? He went all the way from Jerusalem to Rome to go and stand in front of Caesar and say one thing. There's a new king in town and you're not it. You ain't it, buddy. <laughs> Do you know that the, the term gospel is not a Christian term. It, it came from the celebration of Caesar's birthday. So what are the Christians who say, oh, great, let's rip that word off, right? The gospel, the kerygma, the proclamation. And it was, Caesar's born, you know, and he's the son of God. Jesus comes along, infuses his disciples and says, you got the real son of God. 
and you've got the real king. And so they ripped that word. They, the early church ripped all sorts of words off. The word church, ecclesia, is not a Christian word. It meant the assembly. And it was a, a Greco-Roman construct, understanding that uh, they had not only their leaders in their, as it were, the higher-ups, the aristocrats, but they had an assembly of people representing every class in society. And Jesus says, great, I like that idea. My church is, is broken down by class now. We don't, we, don't, we don't have male, female. We don't have rich and poor. We don't have fat and skinny. We got, we got one cool group called my guys, my people. So I've been reminiscing a lot, noodling for years on this idea of who was that little baby sitting in the manger? And I wanted to call this thing today the nuclear baby. Nuclear baby, right? I'm sure when Mary looked at Jesus, she thought, man, he's the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. We usually think that about our babies, right? Even if it's not true. <laughs> we love them. Others came, they paid homage. Of course, the shepherds and the, the angels and the magi and everybody was getting in on the worship of this little baby. But I'll tell you something, that baby was more than a cute little baby. This was the most concentrated place of God's whole purpose on earth was found in one little screaming baby. And I want to go through that with you this morning just a little bit and look at what did this nuclear baby look like. And I want to start, now I understand Lauren did a beautiful job last week of starting in Genesis and going through what a beautiful thing to talk about the light, right? In the beginning, let there be, boom, and there was light. Um, and then you, you can trace that all the way through Scripture, um, this beautiful thing of, of God himself being the originator of light, sending his son as the king of light, uh, et cetera, et cetera, on it goes. It's beautiful. And I want to go back a little bit. Now, what I've done is I normally prepare teaching notes, and this morning I've prepared reading notes. So hang with me because when someone reads to you, it's a little different sometimes then. Um, I was going to have you um, read with me, and I think this is so John Peterson, it might be hard for you to read. So I will read it for you. <laughs> it comes from a paper that I wrote for our, our church network. Uh, we do a thing called God's Story. We start in Genesis and go all the way through Revelation. We take about three to four months and we just familiarize God's people with the great themes of Scripture and the beauty of what God did from the beginning to what will be the end of this age and then the age to come, obviously. The most central truth, the most central truth to the creation account is that this world is a place for God's presence. Right? He made it for himself. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. Nothing's changed. The earth is still the Lord's, and everything in it belongs to him. You say, well, Peterson, look out the window. <laughs> I said, yeah. There's usurpers out there. There's monsters. There's fruit cake, fruitcakes. There's weird stuff going on. Nothing's changed. This is still the place of his presence. He will not let it remain this way forever. Amen? 
and everything in it is his. The earth, in essence, was his temple. Now, when the ancients read the account in Genesis 2 and 3, or 1 and 2, of God creating the earth and then sitting down on the seventh day, when he sat down, when he sat down, he was doing something that only the ancients would understand. We, we, we don't have temple culture, right? We don't understand temples and priesthoods and all this. Unless you come like from an Orthodox or a Roman Catholic background, that, that's kind of new to us. Um, I grew up in Japan. It's all about the temple. It's all about the priesthood. All of life goes through the temple. All of the, the birth, the Marian, the Barian, all of that goes through the temple life. And when our God sat down, what, what a deity does then is inaugurates all of their creation into function. So here's all this beautiful six days, and now he puts it in motion and says, now we're ready to rule from the throne. And he did a very incredible thing. He literally established his throne in heaven and linked it to the footstool on earth. And he said, the heavens are mine, the earth are mine, and I'm the ruler of all of it. And I've created this really cool couple, by the way. Their names are Adam and Eve. I want to introduce you to them. They're really cool. And I put them in the garden to be my stewards. This sparkling new creation was the result of heaven and earth coming together as a place where his presence was both welcome and depended upon for the sustenance of all life. His heavenly throne and his earthly footstool comprised the realm of his rule. The realm of his rule. Longing for partnership, he created man, male and female, in his image. The one to steward his creation, to multiply human life, and oversee the functionaries of the garden. The functions and functionaries. The animals, the birds, the beasts, all of that. Right? Steward the land. Steward the creation. That's our mandate. That's what we're called to do. I'm a conservationist. I believe in conserving, protecting our earth. I believe that. I'm not an environmentalist. Because with environmentalists, what's happened is we've come up with this weird notion, and we're teaching our kids in our schools, that you have to be careful what you do in your home and where you put your garbage and what you do and what you use and what kind of fuel. And all, all of this is around saving the earth. Well, I got news for everybody. You don't have the right to save the earth. The earth isn't yours to save. We're not called to be saviors of his creation. We're called to, be, to conserve and to protect and to love. And to, I mean, come up with new technologies, great. Just don't give credit to the humans who are trying to build a utopian society without him. I mean, do it. I have, not, I have uh, nine grandkids. I got eight granddaughters in a row, people. <laughs> I mean, I gave up all hope. You know, and you, and you try not to say, oh, we're on a boy. Well, by number eight, I was saying, I want a boy. Okay, could somebody please come up with a male? That would be really nice. But I'm telling you what, those girls are so fun. They're absolutely fun. I have no idea where I was going to go with that. I lost the thread completely. So I'm having to reach, thank you. For, so I'm having to retrain and, and, and sit down with my girls and say, tell me what you're learning. 
And I had one that told me when she was 17, I'm a social activist. I said, oh, great, what does that look like? I tear down Donald Trump signs in, in homes in Boulder. I said, oh, great, that's fantastic. Now, I said, I needed to let you know about something. That's not social activism. That's a misdemeanor. <laughs> right? She got really mad at me. We were out camping in Wyoming with the whole tribe, you know, and she's giving me this, you know, social activist thing. So I said, look, let me tell you something. I'm a social activist. I like to call it social holiness, not social justice. Humans can't bring ultimate justice to anybody because they themselves are not forgiven. How can you bring forgiveness and justice when you've not been forgiven? How does that work? So I said, and she got really mad, and she stormed off, and I grabbed her. I never grab people, by the way. I don't grab people. So I grabbed her, and I just said, in our family, I looked her in the eyeballs. We don't run away from each other. We go eyeball to eyeball. <clears throat> Started crying, broke down. A year later, Lord got a hold of her heart. Right now, she's in Norway in YWAM doing a DTS. And I, and I called her. So I was in Norway. And my friends that brought me to Norway said, you know, we know that your daughter's up uh, in, a, in a town north. We want to fly her down to be with you for a day. So they, it was so glorious. And I sat with my granddaughter and listened to what God had been doing in her life. I said, so what's the topic this next week? She said, or last week, she said, Lordship of Christ. I said, whoa, that sounds great. We're a far cry from social activism. And uh, I said, what does that look like? She said, a lot of forgiveness and a lot of repentance. Thank you, Jesus. The heaven and the footstool are being reconnected again. And longing for partnership, he created man in his image as a steward and functionaries and all that. But now at the fall, everything changed. At the fall, everything changed. We hear God's broken heart resonating in the garden. Adam, where are you? To me, that's one of the saddest scriptures in all of the word of God. The creator of the universe created a very special couple, and now he can't find them because they're hiding, because they have broken covenant, covered themselves with a fig leaf for Pete's sake. Adam, where are you? That steward was now booted out. The plan, foiled. The purpose, derailed. The friendship, betrayed. The presence, usurped. And another father set up a temple in his place. His plan, though, remained unfoiled. When Adam did what he did, Adam and Eve did what they did, they actually handed the keys of the Garden of Eden, the keys of the earth, over to the enemy. And when Jesus is walking in the earth with his disciples, do you remember what he said? I'm giving you what? The keys of the kingdom. The keys of the kingdom. I'm going to take them back from that rascal, and I'm going to hand them to you, and we're going to go about putting the earth back into order again. It was a big task, big job. The keys of the kingdom of heaven. Think of it, guys. Woo! God's plan is never foiled. God doesn't get tricked, doesn't freak out, doesn't worry, doesn't wring his hands. He just comes up with plan, actually it's probably plan A. It looks to us like it's plan B, 
But he raises up a guy named Abraham who was a moon worshiper in Mesopotamia. Aren't you amazed in Scripture who God actually chooses? Some real rascals, right? We love the Apostle Paul. He was the worst guy God could find. I'm the chief sinner. I have guys tell me when I travel a lot, yeah, we're called, we have the apostolic calling. I said, oh, fantastic, bro. What does that look like? What, you know, you know, how did you get that great calling to be an apostle? Well, you know, we've got networks of churches and we've got, you know, this, that, and the other. And I said, mm. Dude, the greatest mark of the apostle is you're the worst guy God can find. <laughs> so that through you, this idiot, God can reveal his unlimited patience to all who believe. Leadership is not a place to exercise power. It's a, it's a place to be crushed. Paul understood this as the apostle. So when he traveled, what did he look for? I want to see, you know, if your children's ministry is going really great. I, I want to see if you, you know, I want to see if uh, the pastor and his wife are getting along. All those things are important. No, but ultimately, Paul said, when I come to you, there's only one thing I want to know. Is Christ here and is he being crucified in your midst? Is the cross active amongst you? Paul later said, he said, um, I am in labor. I'm giving birth here, people, until Christ is formed in you. The ultimate role of a leader in the body of Christ is to be crushed by God so that his full and total, his and her total dependency is on God. And so that through him, through that him or her, male, female, doesn't matter, that God can reveal his son in that leader to such a degree that that leader does what the, Jesus himself would do for the people of God. We got leaders that are violating the contract in churches around America, around the West. They've set themselves up as the center of the church. God won't stand it. It's not going to stand for it. And it breaks my heart. And that's why I said, when I see pastors leaving and churches kind of going down, a lot of those are people that were out of order to begin with. A lot of them were just not getting help that they needed. Because the construct can't help you. Hierarchy doesn't take care of your heart. So we need leaders who are going to take care of each other's hearts so that when they give, they give from the heart. Amen? <laughs> oh, man. Lord, help me. Let's keep going. So in Abraham, the creator king, birthday people. Think about it. In Moses, he established a deliverer in a promised land where he might be able to rule his realm again. A new Eden, if, as it were. Then came old David. Good old David. Little shepherd. Lollygagging on the hills with his, with his sheep. The prophet looks at all the boys, all the brothers, and says, nah, none of these guys. Yeah, but he's, he may well have been a bastard. Some believe that David was a bastard. You know, he said later in Psalms, in, in sin did my mother conceive me. I mean, all that kind of stuff, you know. Who knows? But he was, he was unsuspecting. No one would ever think that this guy would become the warrior king of Israel. Aren't you glad that when God looks at you, he sees you very different than maybe the way you see yourself or the way that others may have seen you, teachers and parents and authority figures, because he's creating a new a new identity for you. When his eyes land on you and he starts declaring who you are in the spirit, you'll soar. You'll soar. 
because you're now a son and a daughter, not a slave and an orphan. Yay. I get derailed so easily. (laughs) Then came David, the throne and the lineage of the king. These three contracts, Abraham, Moses, and David, were the seedbed of, of Israel. And the Jews held on to this as their, their, their um, inheritance, their, their uh, genealogy, their belief system, and then they went and started adding to it. So they took the law of God, and then many like the Sadducees and like the scribes begin to add, um, it's like Mr. Potato Head, you know? You have kind of the, the dude in the middle, kind of the head, and you stick on an ear, and you stick on a nose, and you stick on those gross-looking lips. I mean, I've maybe never done potato head. I got nine grandkids. <laughs> Three contracts, all the promises of his kingdom. A people that would share his love, a monster-free, clean land where the temple throne would shine as the centerpiece of his creation. Heaven's throne and earth's footstool united again. When Father sat down on the throne and initiated his, his creation, he was establishing earth as his temple. The whole earth is his temple. It's holy. It's to be clean. It's to be where he does, brings his presence and shows up and partners and has intimacy. It's a beautiful thing. When you can start seeing your world as God's temple, it changes everything. What one of the things the Lord's doing so beautifully to free us from is oversaturation in our culture. We're, we're so saturated in our culture. We see things through American eyes. If you go to Germany, they see things through German eyes. Well, Japanese, oh my gosh, they are so monocultural, ethnocentric, it's unbelievable. And to try to help a Japanese understand that there is a kingdom above Japan. There is a king bigger than the emperor and the senate. Or they call it the diet there. As a kid, I can never figure out why people called the ruling body of their country a diet. I said, are there a bunch of fat guys? That's what I, that was terrible. <clears throat> you know what? No dice. No dice. What was the problem? The problem was, even though he had set all this up, he wanted Israel to be the carrier of his kingdom and the carrier of his heart and the carrier of his ways to live out his laws. There was a fundamental problem. They weren't changed in such a way they could actually keep the law. Nobody was able to keep this perfect law. Just not able. And so they kind of got proud about the fact that thought they could keep the law pretty well and they were really cruel to people who didn't keep the law. That doesn't work for God. No dice. And God was not welcome. Did you know that the, the temple after Solomon's temple, the temple in Nehemiah's day there was a visitation. But basically the temple was empty for four or five hundred years until it was destroyed in Jerusalem. It was empty. Can you imagine? Why would anyone want to go about doing temple work when there's no presence in the temple. And here comes the king of the temple, the high priest of the universe. He walks into their midst and they totally missed him. Completely missed him. That's what happens when, with cultural centrism. When a culture gets oversaturated with itself 
And people even see the gospel and God's ways through their cultural eyes. And they have hope in their country rather than hope in the kingdom. No country is a delivery system for the kingdom of God. Every country is to be the recipient of the kingdom of God. So we have dual citizenship. We have citizens in heaven, citizens in Americans. This is true with any country. You, you talk to Swiss, same there. They're very proud of being Swiss. They eat a lot of cheese and make watches, right? They're, they're incredible people. But God's got to set them free from overabsorption to their cultural identity to find a new identity in Christ that links them. See, I'm closer to my Nigerian brother and sister who were in Christ than I am to my neighbor in Castle Rock who doesn't know Jesus. That's a stronger identity that from every nation, tribe, and tongue, he has drawn a people to be his people. We are in, getting ahead of myself. No dice. He was not welcome, and the earth remained too defiled to house a holy God. Meanwhile, the monsters and the betrayers cohabitated the king's space, relegating him to the backside of a thick cloud and went about seemingly unaware that their self-ruled world was about to be rudely overturned. Enter the nuclear baby. Right? She had all this history. Now we've gone through the Old Testament. We've gone through the dark years, 400 years of silence. And now, all of a sudden, there's a little lady and a little old shriveled dude sitting in the temple area and in Simeon, and they're waiting. They were above the law because they were walking in the Spirit. And when Jesus walks up in the arms of Mary, they discerned who this was. Amen? God wants to give us that kind of discernment these days to know what's of Jesus and what's not. He wants to give us that clarity, that spiritual aha thing. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets many times in a lot of different ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. Who's God's greatest form of communication? His own son. He is known as the word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. If God wanted to say anything, he said it through this guy, Jesus. That little baby carried the entire counsel, Word, and DNA of the living Father in heaven. That little guy, cute little thing. He wasn't so cute, he was dangerous. He was absolutely here to knock some things around. We've become kind of passive in our culture. You know, well, you know whatever, you know, I'm not going to judge anybody. I judge all the time. I don't condemn. That's different. But I discern. Don't we have to discern everything? That's why we're given the Holy Spirit, to test the spirits. Just because you have something that you think is, you know, extremely important to you, the question is, does that align with the spirit, with scripture, and with the character of God? So if I discern that you're kind of off the wall, or you discern I'm off the wall, we get to go towards each other and love each other. We don't have to condemn anybody. I don't care what your sexual orientation is, or you know if your wife is of the same sex. I don't. None of that makes God happy, but I'll tell you something. God still wants us to move in love towards those people of, of any stripe who differ from us. 
How about really wealthy people that have no clue that Jesus wants to be the CEO of their company? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Do you know what I'm saying? This God was so fantastic in what he did that he made his son the final word on everything. This baby was the Messiah. He came to rescue and fulfill all three covenants and establish himself as the redeemer of all creation. How many of you remember, how many of you are old enough to remember redemption centers? You guys remember those? Green stamps? Can't have you remember green stamps, dude. So when you shop, you'd get all these stamps depending on how much money you spent. There's little green stamps. You're all, yay, big. And then you run into the green stamp redemption center and you'd, you'd give them a thousand of these stamps and you'd get, I don't know, toothpaste. I mean, it was really, really nasty, actually. What do you think about it? But you have the right because you paid a price to redeem something for what you paid. And Jesus himself was the one that paid the price for a kidnapped generation. We were kidnapped. The kidnappers called and said, this is the price. And Jesus said, I'll pay it. And the price was his life, and he never regretted it. And that's because we were bought with a price, we worship him. With the advent of the creator who makes all things new came the need for a shakeup, separating of the old from the new, the contaminated from the cleanse, and the dark from the light. Look at these scripture. Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This is a promise. When you think of the end times, do you kind of kind of wiggly? Do you get kind of like, what on earth? What's the end times going to look like? And we spent copious hours studying the book of Revelation to try to figure out what's actually going to happen. Good luck with that. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, you, you don't need to know the signs of the times. What you need to do is get about getting filled with the Holy Ghost and get on with the program of God to take my kingdom into all of culture. Get on with it. I love that. Really fun. The words once more indicated the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things. Verse 28. This is for Shine Church. This is a word for you. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship the Lord acceptably with reverence and awe. Anything that God begins, he's committed to sustain and to finish. What God does not start, he is not obligated to finish it. Things that are founded on him. Now, the beauty of this kingdom is it's actually invisible. Right? We have an invisible kingdom, guys. So how are you going to see something that's invisible? How's that even possible? You've got to have revelation from the Holy Spirit. He has to show you what that is. He has to show you that when you lay in bed and you worry about your money, you don't need to do that. Because he has a kingdom perspective on your money that's nothing to do with you worrying about it. Isn't that great news? Oh, and then he's got, how about retirement? My whole generation is retiring like crazy. You young guys don't even think about it. They're just completely worked up about retirement. If you didn't have to worry about it when you were 20, why are you worrying about it when you're 65? Worry doesn't come into the equation. Wisdom does. 
There's wise stuff to do. And, you know, for me personally, the Lord just said, you're never going to retire. You're just going to die. I said, thank you. Thank you very much. He said, but I will take care of you. I will take care of you. Don't even worry about it. And God has been so faithful. I'm 70, almost 71 years old. And I'm here. I'm nowhere near retiring. If I retire, just warn me, okay? Just, just say, you, hey, you said, you know. And those that feel called to retire, great, retire. But at the same time, re realize that doesn't mean the end. It just means that now you're free to do stuff for the Lord that you never dreamed about doing, maybe. Or you did dream about it and didn't have the time to do it. Now's the time. We're receiving a kingdom, you guys. Not church. We're not receiving a church. What church do you go to? It's such a dumb question. Right? And this church doesn't exist for you to come to. This church is you. It's people. It's not a place. And so you're here, hopefully, to love each other because you love Jesus and to love anyone who doesn't love Jesus. And you, the leaders are here simply to equip you to be nasty, dangerous kingdom folks out there in the workplace and in your neighborhood. That's it. We've made it so complicated. You know, with budgets and board meetings and buildings and all this. And now all of a sudden, all the energy goes into sustaining the machine and people get missed out. I'm sorry. I, I get so off base sometimes. And then we'll end on just really quick, six things. Quickly. You know. I feel insulted by that laughter. Six gifts that make... What's that? Whoa, yeah, baby. Woo! Six, six gifts that make Jesus nuclear. There's a whole lot more. But I, I wanted just to point out um, that he, our, our Jesus, is not only creator, he's the ultimate source of destruction. Right? If, if, you're, if you're a pacifist, this idea of an aggressive God is very hard to understand. The reason he's passive, he's not passive and he's aggressive, is that he has a bride that left him. And he wants her back. And he's jealous God. And he's He's pissed. He is. Sorry, Lord. He's, <laughs> he is upset that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. When he had a whole salvation waiting for him, a whole banquet waiting for them. When he came, he came as the dwelling place of God. He was the temple presence himself. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. This little baby, little nuclear dude sitting there looking all cute. He was one dangerous thing, <laughs> baby. He was really wired for war and wired for love. Man, woo. The temple shifted from a building to his body. Personally and collectively, we are that temple now, a dwelling place on earth of the spirit from heaven. We're, we're his body. We're the temple. Do you understand why the human brain will never figure that out? Never figure it out. You'll never understand that. Till the Holy Spirit, and you ask, right? We need to ask. Spirit, Father God, send your spirit to wake my brain up here and, and 
put a fire in my spirit to understand this stuff that's ununderstandable. Yes. It's just out there, dude. I mean, it's, what? We're the temple of the creator God? That is off the charts weird. And weird becomes normal. And then others look at you and say, you're really weird, dude. And you go, you bet I am. Because I've seen him. I've heard his voice. I, I get the scriptures I used to f- war over and fight over and wrangle with. I get it. And I'm still getting it. And it's going to take the rest of my life and forever. You know, by the way, those of you that are looking to grow up and mature and arrive, it ain't happening. <laughs> There's no arrival to be had. Secondly, he was born the firstborn of a new race of people. There's a very interesting scripture in Corinthians. It says that he was the last Adam and the second man. Whoa, what does that mean? There was only one Adam, and the, sec- the last Adam, doesn't come the second Adam because there's no more. He's the last one we'll ever have. And Adam meant the, the beginner of life. But he blew it. He fell. He and, and Eve fell. So Jesus says, oh, we got to redo that nonsense. we got to turn that around. So he comes as the last Adam and says, I've taken everything of Adam number one and sucked it in, and I'm now headed for this cross, a little nuclear baby, and I'm going to die up there, and all that came from that bozo is dead. It is no more, for I have died and my life is hid with Christ in God. Woo! I don't want to know anything but Christ and him crucified. The power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, be made conform unto his death. Now, do you see why we need shaking? (laughs) We need shaking. How many of you got kind of upset around COVID? Hey, when's this going to end? This is nonsense. Hey, what if it happens again? And again. What happens when governments start to fall? You know what changes? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You're a pilgrim. You're a sojourner. You're a resident alien of another land. And all of this stuff should have ultimately no final effect on us. It should make us desperate to go into the fray and bring the kingdom of the, the gospel to the kingdom. So what we've done historically is we pull back when things get dark. God's calling his church now to move into it. Bam! Let's go. He was a firstborn of a new race. The contamination of Adam's race was now rendered powerless. Third, he was initiating his, in his body new creation. Right? All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Heaven and earth were rejoined. The throne and the footstool now came together in this in the last Adam and the second man. Second man means the, the, the progenitor of a new race of people. You're a new race. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a new race. <laughs> we're a family now. We were aliens, we were out, and he's brought us together in Christ. Isn't that cool? In this room at this time on this day, it's not an accident. He was a king. If you are overcommitted 
to the political system. Now, let, let, me, let me say this. What overcommitted to the political system is means that you have hope in it. We need to be involved in politics. We do. Okay, so I was just in Norway. How am I doing? Oh. We, <laughs> I was just in Norway, Switzerland, and Amsterdam. My partner, Ken, and I have a little thing called the city table. And uh, if you'd like to follow us a little bit, it'll be, it'll be up later, just a little website thing and podcast and all that. We, we uh, had a beautiful time in Amsterdam. I lived there, you know, for 14, 15 years. And we went to Norway. And the couple that hosted us were part of a large, the largest church, one of the largest churches in Norway. And God was speaking to them about being less church-centric and beginning to actually reach the city, which is great. Well, she's a city council member. She was in government, full of the Holy Ghost. This lady walked with Jesus. It was gorgeous. And her husband was a pastor planting churches around the world um, in all sorts of nations. So they're really senior Jesus freaks, you know. <laughs> and she said, yeah, we can't wait for you to come. We're gathering all these people. I said, great, who, who are these people that we're gathering? She said, well, I've got, I hope the mayor can come. But if she can't come, we've got uh, all, a lot of the major political parties are coming. I said, how many do you have? She said, 11. We've got 11 political parties. Great. So we had the far left, the far right, the centrist, and the Christian Democrats all sitting together in a row. And then they, the Chamber of Commerce and the top business guy who connects the city with the, the government with the business community. And then we had the guy that headed up all of immigration for all the Afghanis and the Ukrainians that are coming into the nation. Uh, cra crazy. And we got it. She got us in one room. And she said, by the way, this house that we're in, this room, was the first prayer house in all of Norway in 1846. And it came out of a revival and the revival was done by a guy named Nielsen Haug. And this dear brother was nuclear. He was all over the country. And the beauty of what he did was he just started planting prayer houses all over the country. You know, it's a real long, skinny country. They're all up and down. So our first meeting with this entourage of people was in this prayer house. Dudes, I tell you, it was like the Spirit of the Lord had been hanging out there for a long time. And here come all these unbelieving politicians, business leaders, had no clue what they were. They knew it historically. Everyone knew about this house. They were all proud of it. It was great. And we sat and we talked about, around the room, around the table, what is your dream for your city? And you start hearing all these dreams. And then it dawns on people, oh, I can help with that part of it. Oh, well, I got some resources that might, mm, I know a guy who, and all of a sudden you've got this synergy starting to happen and you walk out of a room of people who don't know the Lord, who don't understand the kingdom of God and you have a little group of believers that are coming in there as the CIA, clandestine ministry for Jesus. And you sneak in and you smile and you tell them that you love them, that you love their city, it's beautiful. You brag on people, just like babies. Make sure you always brag on babies. Because he's a king. And my king has sent you and me as ambassadors into all of culture. So we get to walk in with our shoulders back, humble-hearted, and look at him and say, 
Let's see what the Father in heaven has for everybody. You don't say it out loud. You smile and you say, wasn't the weather great yesterday? You know? <laughs> it's fun to be sneaky for Jesus. Colossians 1, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints, Abraham, Moses, and David, and all the others. We're sharing in that. It's one story. God's story is one story. We're sharing in it. In the kingdom of light. I told Dan that I had to have at least one verse that said light in it. Just to conform to the topic of the, you know. (laughs) For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. Isn't that precious? (laughs) He's given us a new history. He's given us a new government. A new government. The government on that little baby is on his shoulders. Right here. I think the sad part of this story for for our Father in Heaven is that he's almost saying the same thing that he said to Adam in the garden. Where are you? Where are you? Are you with me or are you using me to have a nice life? Are you with me? And are you ready to lay everything down for me? Because I'm about to move on the earth and I need you to be part of of my family, of my army. I'm reticent to picture the kingdom of God too militaristically, you know. But there is that aspect to it for sure. The armies of the host of heaven, you know, God's got his army, so something's going to happen. I mean, there's going to be some kind of battle going on. Because you're a new race and you're a new creation, a new man, that means you don't have to see yourself any longer as an orphan or a slave or be so self-absorbed with your life that... It brings hopelessness to your heart. The stuff you go through, some of you are being shaken, very definitely. You're going through shaking personally. You're going through shaking in your family. One of the greatest potions for shaking and for the pain of it is community. Right? Because when you're feeling beat up, the tendency is to pull back. The Lord says, when you're being beat up, push in. And grab friends. And be a community. Be in a house group. Be in somewhere where you're doing life together. You're doing the word, prayer, breaking of bread, and fellowship. You're doing it. You're, you've got the rhythms. That's protection. When we started our little community of locally here in Castle Rock, of about six, seven couples, older couples, we took on each other's families. And we had renegade kids. We had people that were sick and dying. We had drug addicts. We had all sorts of stuff. And within a year, the Lord began to move in every one of those people. Because that's the healing power of community. And I want to encourage you, don't be isolated. This is not time to be alone. Um, Ask for help to find people. If you don't have your own network of people, ask the Lord to bring them to you. This is a time for us to group up so that we can be prepared and tooled up for what's coming. Simeon holding that little nuclear baby and he, he's, 
His heart's full of joy. He's got this little baby, Gold Simeon. I'm sure he was shriveled and wrinkled and looked kind of weird, you know. And he looks down and he says, now I can die. Because I've seen. And, and look at the 31. Do we have that? Did I give that to you, Marcus? For my eyes have seen your salvation. So his salvation was a person. It was the baby. It was Jesus. That you have prepared in the presence of all people. A light for revelation, right? What do we need? Revelation, not more belief, not more knowledge. Revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. A light for revelation. I'm going to ask Dan to come up and just kind of land the plane here. But, but I want to leave you with this. Um, you are loved with an everlasting love. And with the arms of love, he's holding you. He's, he's drawing you in. He loves you. Doesn't, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what failures you're experiencing. I don't care if you've had nine bankruptcies. I mean, none of that matters. I have a friend that had nine bankruptcies, by the way. Good Lord. That, <laughs> that was his shaking process. God is so in love with you guys. He will go to every length to get every ounce of your allegiance to him so that you will know his love and then he can deploy you into things, the secrets and the mysteries that he has for his church to become salt and light into all of culture. Amen? Bless you guys. Um, I was having breakfast with him a couple months ago and he just asked me, um, how are things going? And it happened to be just one of those up and down weeks where uh, there was good news uh, about things that were happening in the church. And then um, later that afternoon, there was something bad. And then later that night, there was something good. I mean, literally, it was just like up and down. So I was just sharing this with him. Um, any of you ever have any days like that or weeks, you know? Um, and so I was just sharing that and I was just sharing the difficulty. I was like, man, so in one moment, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is great. We're doing so good. And then the next minute I'm like, oh man, I, are, am I, are we even supposed to pastor this church? I mean, you know, it's just up and down. And he graciously listened to me and, and, um, I probably spoke for, I don't know, 20, 25 minutes just sharing all this stuff with him. And he just looked at me in the eyes afterwards and he said, hey, please receive this in the heart that is being given. Um, but Dan, this is not your church. It's God's. And so if he wants to call some people out of it, let him do it. And if he wants to add some people to it, let him do it. But understand, do not take credit for either. I love the way that you articulate that it's not about anything but the kingdom. And we have missed that church, I think, in the Capital C Church, I think we've done a poor job of remembering that it's just about the King. It's about making Him Lord of our lives. And it's not about an individual. It's not about a church body. It's about Jesus Christ. And unbeknownst to Him, um, our teaching team uh, got together this past week to talk about 2023 and where we're going to go. And um, the, the general theme um, came out that the Holy Spirit... And Jesus himself wants to invite us to, through 2023, we're going to title the whole year, Come With Me. 
We believe that Jesus is inviting us to come run with him. Now, here's the thing. To run with the Lord means you have to stop running with everything else. In order to fully run with the Lord, you have to go all out for him. We have to drop the things that are not being led by him, that the things, the areas in our lives that um, we are not making him king, and we need to let those go. I don't want you to raise your hands right now, but uh, just in all seriousness, have you prayed at all this month for revival or for a mighty move of God? I got to be completely honest and transparent. I get so caught up in my day-to-day that I don't even think to pray for those things. And yet that's what we need. We need a revival in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world, yes? We need people to come to an understanding that God, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords and I will put everything to the side other than you. But man, that's difficult because we have, you know, we just got done with the series in 1 John where his last words was children, Stay away from idolatry. I'm reading a book right now that's rocking my world about that. (laughs) The things that we make idols in our lives. And so my question to you is, will you come with Jesus? Will you come away with him? Will you run with him? Prepare your heart. The first weekend in January, we're going to be talking about fasting and praying and getting, getting with God and letting some of these things that are hindering us, letting them go. Quick question for you. When I talk about fasting, is there a big amen in your heart or a oh no? I've been stirred in my heart. I, you know, what, what should we fast? I, I'm just sharing this right now because beginning of January, we're going to go here. So just getting you all ready. Start praying about this. But for me personally, God has been challenging me. What's the one thing you don't want me to ask you to fast? Uh oh. Just on a real practical thing, I'm already wrestling with God about my Mountain Dew intake in the morning. I'm already saying, hey, when we go into this fast, Lord, is one day okay, Lord? I mean, I'm all right with that. Two, maybe. And he's like, you know, Jesus fasted for 40 days. Come on, Lord. So I say all that just to say, hey, look. We need to decide how serious we are about this. Do we believe that Jesus is our king? You know, we're about to celebrate in two weeks the birth of this nuclear baby. And I love the fact that um, John was able to bring out, man, this, this isn't just some cute little baby. This is, this is a baby that will transform our individual lives and our entire world. And when we give our heart over to him and when we make him the king, that's when the transformation takes place. And it's a process and it, it, the word says we're transformed glory by glory, moment by moment, the thing, you know, giving up one thing after another thing. Um, But the question is, do you have a heart to do so? And if you don't, start asking God to give you that heart. Start asking him to prepare you so that when we get to 2023, collectively as a family, we can go run together. Because here's what I know. We're going to need every single one of you as the family members to do this. It's not something that just the pastors do and then the church benefit. No, everybody in this family needs to do it. 
and we're going to grow together, and we're going to uh, learn together, and we're going to sharpen one another, and we're going to cry together, and we're going to laugh together, um, but let's run towards Jesus together. Let's go with him. Amen?